Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Did you just happen to start law school or you're already thinking, dang, I really need to start studying for the bar? Well, we have the resource for you and it happens to be called Barcast Audio. We've been working with Barcast Audio since the beginning of this podcast literally since 2020. And we definitely recommend it. It's audio lessons that you can just listen to on the go while you're driving, while you're cleaning, while you're on your bike, when you're sad, when you're happy, you can listen to Barcast Audio and get your legal knowledge right in your ear. So go to barcastaudio.com and use code LADIES, that's L-A-D-I-E-S, for 10% off your next order. Well, hi guys, and welcome back to another Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week, we have a very special guest. She's local here from Oklahoma City and works at a very cool law firm, but you guys have to you know, tune in to learn more. So please help us welcome our guest, Paula Williams. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Paula Williams. Hi, Paula. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you guys doing? We are doing well, Paula. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a litigator at Gable Gottwell's Law Firm in Oklahoma City. I do primarily an an employment practice um, that has a litigation focus, but I also do some general litigation. So Everything from business litigation to some insurance defense and the like. I'm in the courtroom, mostly federal court. Uh, I am partner at the law firm that happened at the beginning of 2019. Love it there. And I guess I should say that outside of my legal practice, I am um, have been married to my husband, Doug, for almost 13 years, which is just crazy to me. And we have three young boys who keep us busy for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> we love to hear, <laughs> we love to hear that you're a mom and a working mom. I know that's something we will definitely dive into more as we go on, but let's go back to the beginning. Tell us where you went to undergrad and what your major was. I went to undergrad at OU and I was a political science major. I was, um, 
You know, I tend to excuse my story as being boring, but you know, no story's boring. It's yours. But I was a, a kid in high school that had no idea what to do. I'm a first generation lawyer. So being a lawyer sounded important and cool. And I didn't know what political science was, but an advisor recommended that I do political science if I want to be a lawyer. And by the time I got enough into undergrad to realize that Political science doesn't really track with being a lawyer. It's very different. And I really could have done anything in undergrad. I was like a semester away from graduating early. So I just wrapped that undergrad degree up. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. I took my advisor's advice and my dad, he was like, oh, you should do political science. And <laughs> he's not a lawyer, <laughs> but I thought that would be the way to do it. So do you think that any of the classes you may have taken in undergrad did help in law school? I know I took um, a few classes that were like law type classes through my political science track, and those were a little helpful, but not not really. Man, so undergrad was like, I graduated in 2007, so it's been a minute. So I'm trying to think back to those classes um, <laughs> when I was... Usually guests say they get like PTSD when it comes to this part of the interview because yeah. everyone's like thinking back to, you know... Yeah, and I actually live down the street right now from one of my professors. And I'm like, did I learn... I mean, he... Yeah, he's kind of a legal guy. Um, yeah, I'm sure I did. I mean, I think I at least went into law school with a pretty good understanding of the judiciary and, yeah. you know, separation of, uh, you know, federal government, state government and the like. And that I'm sure that had a benefit to it. But as you all know, I mean, you get into law school and nobody really knows anything. Um, and the people that think they do probably know less than everyone else. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure I did learn, learn some that was helpful, but yeah, nothing, I think nothing really prepares you for law school. No, totally agree. What made you want to go to law school? Man, now you're taking me like even farther back. I mean, not to, uh, I, I think again in high school, I think that it, it seemed like a cool, important job. I wasn't on a debate team. I was I was like cheerleading captain and first chair cello, okay? Nobody in high school knew what to do with me. <laughs> um, and and so yeah, I I went to a a law conference in Washington DC when I was in high school that that seemed again big and important and to get there I raised money and I wrote letters to lawyers in the community to raise money to get there cuz you know, didn't have other money to just pay my way to DC. And so I had had some cool experiences, girl state that helped me understand that government and the law was at least interesting to me. And then I think in undergrad, um, I did well in political science classes. I took the LSAT. That went well. I started teaching LSAT classes for Kaplan. And it all just, it all just kind of happened. And then before I knew it, I was in law school and I was becoming a lawyer. And now I've done it more than a decade. And how did I get here? I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. Maybe through, maybe through this podcast, we can figure out how I got where I am and it'll save me an appointment with my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So let's go back to applying to law schools. So you went to undergrad at OU. 
did you want to stay at OU for law school or did you want to venture out a little bit? Um, you know, did you apply to more than one schools? How did that look like? Yeah, I applied to, I don't remember, I would say probably seven or eight schools, um, largely in the Midwest. Um, you know, OU for sure. And that's where I went. So spoiler alert, OU grad <laughs> and loved it. And so glad I stayed there, stayed in Oklahoma. But um, yeah, I, I thought about UT. I thought about William and Mary. I had applied to some places I didn't get in. And then there was one school that I was like, if I get in, I'm doing it. And it was Georgetown. And it was like my like, if I get into Georgetown, I am moving to DC and I'm doing it. And my my husband now husband and I had been together a couple years at that point. And so we kind of knew like if I got into Georgetown, he was gonna come too. And that was gonna be huge for him. Uh he started undergrad before me, but graduated after me. So I like to tease him. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, so that was really the decision. And OU was giving offering me fantastic scholarships, and that was a huge reason why I decided to stay. But also, um, we I was so cool in undergraduate that for my spring break trip, I actually convinced my roommate and her boyfriend and my boyfriend, Doug, to go to Washington, D.C. over New Year's Eve as our senior trip. And so <laughs> that's how cool I was. No beach for us. No cruises. We're doing D.C. And we were in, in D.C. And I thought, this is it. Like we were on Georgetown campus and I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going to be. And I came home and like, I don't remember if I came home to it, if it was like the next week, but I had my declination, declination letter. (laughs) So it was like, oh, okay. So that door shut. But you all, I, I feel like I've had a number of times in the last 10 years where a door shuts and you're disappointed because you start to imagine it. You imagine that path in your mind And then you take the other path and you realize how great that path is. Cause I don't know if we'll talk about OU and, and I hear great things about OCU and I've worked with OCU grads, um, in our practice, but like we've got some great schools in Oklahoma and I'm so glad I stayed. So, um, what was your question? Did I answer it, Samantha? No, yes. you totally did. Yeah. So let's talk, let, let's do talk about your time at OU. So tell us what were some of your biggest accomplishments while you were there, but also some of your biggest struggles. Hmm. They were probably, they probably went hand in hand uh, because I had, I checked the boxes in law school that and out from an outsider standpoint, you're supposed to check. You know, I did law review and I graduated top of my class and, you know, checked the right boxes. But I'm someone that I realize now puts a lot of pressure on myself and likely gave up a lot by focusing so much on just studies while other people were getting experience, like working throughout the school year um, or, you know, I, building deep friendships in law school. And I've certainly, I certainly, I mean, I had friends in law school and I have deep friendships now from law school, but, but I missed out on a lot of that because I can remember being in the library, hearing OU football games, because in my mind, the library was totally quiet and nobody was around when an OU football game was on. And now I'm like, tickets were so cheap. Why didn't I go to the football games? So, you know, the accomplishments I I feel like are just you know, um, 
yeah, they were accomplishments, but, um, I, I, you know, I don't know that I had any conception of the kind of balance that, um, my mind and my body needed and that I try to strive more for today. So let's talk a little bit more about that and just being so dedicated to your studies in law school. You know, what would you say is your tip for law students who are in law school now? What would you suggest to them? I mean, so many of us, sometimes we think we're not studying enough. Most of us think that. (laughs) But it sounds like to me, like, there might have been some times where you wish that you would have just taken a break or relaxed a little bit, taken one night off. Would you agree? Yes, for sure. And I did set, I mean, you know, I did have some boundaries. I was the kind of person who, even still today, I, I have a pretty solid cutoff at, you know, five or six. I'm just not great in the evenings. Now I have to work some in the evenings just because I have three kids and often have to leave early and play catch up and triage email before the next day, but it's not my best self. And so in law school, I would, you know, I would cut off studying the night before a final. And I was the person that probably drove people nuts because I'd go in the classroom and I'd want to chit chat before the exam because I love talking and I love talking to, you know, just just chatting about things, not, and and they're trying to study and they're like, get out of my face. We have a final in 20 minutes. What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) But yeah, my tip though is, uh, you know, I I think that I, I, and I've, I've talked to several law students in this past year at um, OU law who it seems like everyone feels like they should have things figured out as a first year, second year, third year law student. I should know what I'm good at. I should know what I want to do. I should know if I want to do civil litigation or criminal. I should know if I want to be at a big firm or a small firm or go in house or do transactional work. What is that? I mean, there's this perception and this pressure that there's this one track for you. And you should know because by God, you're in law school. So why, why don't you know what you want to do? Why are you in law school if you haven't figured all that out? And everyone, everyone has different interests and they're good at different things. So I have, I told someone recently, I could talk to 750 people at once. I could present and I wouldn't even break a sweat. I love it. I love being in front of a big crowd. I love one-on-one talks like this love it. Look forward to any talks like this. But if you put me in a room and said, go grab a glass of wine and network for 45 minutes. Like, I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) I hate the small talk. I hate finding someone to talk to. I'm sweaty. I get really nervous. And as I have learned more about what I'm good at and what I'm not great at and made peace with that, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have to do the uncomfortable things. It just means I'm okay doing the things I like and prioritizing that. And in the same way in law school, as you get experiences and internships or classes, you are figuring out what you like and you don't like. And in 10 years, you might actually like something totally different than you liked in law school. And that's okay. And it's all just a process so that you can 
find a job that's a good fit for your skill set and what you enjoy doing. And it might not be your first job. It might take a couple to figure out what you like. But every time I talk to someone and they're like, I just, I feel like I should know what I want to do. I'm like, why? You're like, a lot, a lot of law students are 23, 24, 25, even, you know, now if you're 45 and you're returning to law school after a long career, I hope you have an idea of why you wanted to go to law school. That may be a little different, yeah. but by and large, I think that's my tip is give yourself a break that you, you're not supposed to have it all figured out right now. That's okay. Amen. I think that is great advice, especially for, you know, us three L's and people graduating right now that may not have jobs or don't know what they want to do at all. So um, why don't we talk about jobs for a second? And so when you graduated law school, did you already have a job offer or did you go into bar prep without one? I did have a job offer. So I've been at the same firm, uh, since I interned during law school. So I don't, I don't have an exciting answer there. I'm, I'm lucky to have landed at a firm where I just, I love the people, but I had a number of friends who didn't have job offers going in to bar prep or who had to take the bar exam more than once or who have switched jobs four times or who have gone back for another degree. And, uh, you know, it's their, smart. They are successful by, you know, at least my measure. And so I had a job, yes, and was lucky to have it because I also went to law school at a time when there were a lot of people going to law school because the financial crisis had happened. So I entered fall 2008. So we got a lot of like geologists and MBAs before there were joint programs and people going to law school because jobs were lost and the market was crashing and and uh and I can tell you that I can't think of anyone I know in my law school class who didn't land on their feet you know and and I just think of where some people ended up and I love it cuz I would have never guessed that that's what they're going to end up doing in law school that's so exciting I can't wait you know we're about to graduate and a lot of us are we're, I just as baby lawyers you just wonder like even for myself, where am I going to end up? So I totally, it's good to hear that once you're out and after 10 years of practice that you still look around and you think, oh, they're changing, they're growing and everything like that. So did you practice the same area of law ever since you've been at the firm or have you, has it ebbed and flowed? And Tell us about, you know, growing in a firm, like going from an intern to an associate to what comes after that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my practice has um, ebbed and flowed. I I like that word because it's ebbed and flowed in both workload and in types of work. I was, I think, a fourth-year associate. It's like my fourth year of practice at the firm. And, And I should also say that Gable is very good about wanting people to do find the area of law that they want to practice in. I, you know, I think that law firms, the smartest way is, is that's the smartest approach because, you know, I have certain things that I feel like I repeat to people ad nauseum, but if you, if you try to make someone be someone they're not, they're not going to last very long doing it. They're going to burn out. If you help someone find something that they 
love doing or at least like doing, then they're going to last a lot longer and be able to add better value. And so about four years in, two of the lawyers at Gable uh, moved to different states. And that that was really before a time when working remote was <laughs> was so accessible now. I mean, we're talking like, you know, 2015 maybe. And, and they both had a thriving employment practice. And so me and someone four years ahead of me liked working together. And, and we said, hey, like, why don't we try employment law? And the more we dug in, uh, the more we liked it. And that meant what that meant when you're doing a new area of law, at least for me, was you start focusing all your CLEs on that area to really learn it. And then you try to get on as many of those cases as you can to learn it in action. And then gradually you start getting more responsibilities in that area. So uh, Ellen Adams and I really started to grow our employment practice about that fourth year. And we still have a thriving employment practice. I have started to do a mix of not just employment, but also more litigation. And that's more a result of the workflow that's come to the firm. So part of being at a any firm, large or small, is if there's an influx that work of work that comes through the door, you know, you may be asked to take on some other cases and, you know, by stretching myself back outside of employment law, maybe more of like a 50-50 practice now with some other litigation, it's given me the opportunity to work with some people at our firm I hadn't gotten to work with before, which has made me grow as a litigator as I've seen more examples of how other people do things and, you know, been in front of more federal judges. And, and so that's, uh, that's what my practice has looked like. Now, someday do I hope I'm back to all employment law? Yes. But also once you take on cases, um, you know, you're, you're with them and, and gosh, I, you know, we've got some great clients. And so that's part of it too, is even if it's not an area of law, that's your normal practice, you know, whether it's the other people you're working with or just a great client that you love working with, it's, it's worth it to stretch yourself then. And then to answer your other question about, you know, growing up at a firm, I can only speak from my experience at Gable, which is, you know, different, different than every, you know, I feel like every law firm is going to be a little bit different. And, I was very lucky to be at a law firm that was big enough to be, you know, at least big law in Oklahoma, right? Like big law in Oklahoma, if you go down to Texas, is not really that big. It's actually very small. But our Oklahoma City office, when I started there, had 11 attorneys. And now we've grown, you know, two and a half times that in our Oklahoma City office. But, you know, they supported me through three maternity leaves. They supported me when I, I was an adjunct professor at OU two semesters and, and just, you know, grew my family and also just figured out what I was good at and what I like to do. I feel like I've always had a lot of space in that area. And that's not always true everywhere. So it's a seven-year partner track at Gable. And so I made partner fall 2018. And then that was effective January 2019. And I find it as a partner. Uh, it's it's busier, but it's it's great. And it's it's a whole new level of I feel like buy-in where you're at, not, not literal buy-in, like emotional buy-in to, to be a partner and, and have more of those responsibilities. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes. 
Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. just feel like you have a team at that point and it's the camaraderie and you know when someone hurts everybody hurts right sure so let's talk about you being a mom and working and being a partner in a law firm like all that sounds when I say that I just like I hope in 10 years I can be in your shoes so recently Back in uh, 2021, I met you at the Oklahoma Bar Association Women in Law event, and you talked about work-life balance, and I just loved what you had to say. And basically, your presentation was over, and it was titled, You're Allowed to Be More Than a Lawyer. And when I heard that at first, you know, you're thinking, what does that mean? And especially for someone who is so bought into the law school process and so bought into becoming a lawyer, imagining my life as more than that was almost baffling, right? But it's important not to have your identity just in being a lawyer. And I thought that you talked about that so eloquently. So we are so happy to have you on and we want to talk about, I'm using air quotes, but work-life balance, you know, (laughs) what really is that? And I'm just going to let you have the floor. Okay. Well, you know, I agree with you that I had always, I had always thought of work-life balance in air quotes, like, okay, it's this thing that lots of people talk about, but it's a buzzword. And what does it really mean? And I always thought of it like lady justice, that there were, there were two things. There was work and then there was everything else. And when work is as big as everything else, to me, that, to me, and everyone's different and at different places in their lives with different responsibilities, but to me, having work be as big as all the other things in my life combined was not, I, I never understood a balance. It felt like I was pitting one thing against you know, 12 other things. And so I was through a, through a program, I saw this, this wheel of this pie where your life was divided up into eight or 10 categories and, and it had different parts of your life in each one. And work was one of those categories. And, and certainly if you have 10 categories of your life, let's say health and fitness, personal relationships, church, community involvement, you know, 
sleep, whatever you put in there. If work is just one-tenth, then that's fine, but you might be hard pressed to find a job where you can spend one-tenth of your life there and actually build a career. So, you know, but, but the idea of all of these things on a wheel made more sense to me because the wheel, I, I said that it, it reminded me of a tilt-a-wheel. And so at any given moment, it's going to tilt to one side or the other. Haley, when we met each other, my COVID had just gone through one of my kiddos in the house. And I wasn't even sure I would make it to the conference to present because I wasn't sure I'd be out of quarantine and still testing negative by the conference. And so at that point, my wheel was real heavy on my family side and it was hard to make work happen. And then, you know, we had the conference, things are normal for like two weeks. And then that the Delta came through our house one week before I could vaccinate my kids. And, and it was like this all over again, work and health, you know, just the wheel was heavy on health. And the next month, and really since then, my work has been so busy, busier than I've probably been in, you know, five or six years. Uh, And, but I know my wheel has shifted and is heavy on the work side. And, and it requires for me, just saying that out loud, like my work is really busy this month. I'm going to have a busy month is nice to just say, Hey, I'm just going to say it out loud. It's going to be busy. This month's going to be hard, but then also I can do something about it going forward. So what does next month look like? What does July look like? And how do I start to, you know, find a better balance again? I actually talked about two wheels and without a visual, it's, you know, I hope I'm doing a good job explaining this, like this, this pie, but looking at your wheel in two ways. So first within each piece of the pie, how much time am I spending? And then separately, how much, how life giving is it? So I think the example I used last fall was you know, my house was a wreck. My house was a total mess. So my satisfaction on my house was like a two out of 10 because there are toys everywhere. There is a mess everywhere. But when I look at my time wheel, I'm really not spending time picking up my house. So I'm actually pretty satisfied. That's okay. The, you know, the two out of 10 is okay because I'm not really spending time on it. Now, when we think about work, if my work satisfaction is a two and it's getting a huge chunk of my time, I think it's time to check my temperature. Like, hey, what is the point of this right now? Is it money? Is it career development? Is it potential networking opportunity? And is that is that worth it right now? And sometimes that work pie being bigger is worth it. I mean, it's, well, not only has it been worth it in the last few months for me, but it also has been just necessary. You have clients, you have cases, and they're going to trial and there's deadlines. And you can't just say, you know what? I've decided this month that I'm going to start putting in better boundaries. And I'm just not sure that motion in limine is going to going to get done this case. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll just go to trial without it. You don't get to say that. Yeah, no. But, but I feel like that has helped me just take inventory of my life. So where am I happy? 
Where am or satisfied is probably a better word. Where am I not satisfied? And where am I putting my time? And is there a way I can reallocate my time to get you know better value out of my day, out of my week, out of my month? Um, and and I want to reiterate again, those changes can't happen instantaneously. I cannot wake up tomorrow and decide to work less, but I can decide that come July when I think I'll have a few cases pushed through the trial stage. You know, then you know okay, what do I want next year to look like? And maybe it's taking on less cases. Maybe it's, you know, focusing my practice in different areas. And and so it's a, it's a long-term planning that helps you. I think I used the word tilt-a-wheel last October that, uh, yeah, just feels like a carnival ride and it, it's always changing. And I have had to make peace with that. My life is never going to have a season where the top, the tilt-a-wheel, is, feels like it's perfectly balanced. It's, it's going to be a constant effort to take that inventory, ask some hard questions, and reallocate my time resources. And I think that that's life. And it's so true, whether you're a lawyer or not, or not right? Your seasons of life are constantly changing. And I, I love that mental picture of looking, thinking of a carnival ride. And sometimes it's going so fast, I, you know, and it's been so fast. And you're just like, holy crap, I'm trying to hang on. So great visualiz- visualization for us all. But Paula, what do you like to do? And what do you do to help, you, you know, your life pie? What do you do for self care? Oh. Did you hear me say I'm a mom of three young boys? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, today I ran an errand. (laughs) No, I, you know, I I do try to, oh gosh. I mean, I don't have anything consistent. Like I, I have tried to prioritize and I'll loop health real generally in the last year, just trying to be more mindful of what I'm eating and trying to walk more and eat more water, eat more water. See, I don't even, (laughs) I I drink the water. Trust me. I'm not eating. I do drink it. But you know, whether it's going on a date night with my husband or taking a walk by myself um, or working from home on a day that I just, I just need a day to not, you know, have 12 people in my office, which the extrovert in me loves, but sometimes I need a day. So, and then, you know, I do think that I'm going to go into mom mode here, but moms in particular have to find, have to take breaths in really small moments. And so finding really small moments with my kids or even just popping in AirPods while I'm unloading the dishwasher because that's my 10 minutes to myself to listen to the music I want to listen to. Uh, You know, is that self-care as most people would probably be like, no, emptying the dishwasher is not self-care. You need to redefine that. You need to work on it. But you know what? Like, it's a time I get to take a breath and they're not talking to me. Um, And so... Man, I don't feel like that's the best answer, but I just no, I think um, it's a good answer. You know, I loved I loved what you just said about the wheel spinning really fast. And I do wish my wheel would slow down a little bit to make a little more time for that. And I don't know how that happens or what that looks like, but um it's definitely something that I would like to I should probably think about more. And even if your self-care doesn't necessarily necessarily look like the typical self-care, we always like to tell people that what works for one person may not work for the other. 
um, and the most random things is like part of our self-care routine yeah. too. And I'm sure like one day when we're moms, who knows what it's going to be. Emptying, I love emptying the dishwasher. So <laughs> <sometimes> <laughs> I, well, that's a, there you go. <laughs> so with you being a mom, have you like when you first started having children and you were working and I know you said that your firm, you know, was great with maternity yeah. leave and all that. But how did you adjust to coming back to work? Like, how did that work out? Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. I mean, when you're out for 12 weeks, first, you're just out of, you're out of the rhythm of talking to an adult. You're out of the rhythm of using your brain for, um, you know, legal work and analysis you you haven't gotten to drink a whole cup of coffee in one sitting in like a long time and you've probably been drinking way too much coffee and so i remember um someone started at our law firm while i was on my first maternity leave and i and i met him briefly when i like walked the baby through the office for everyone to like oh you had a baby this is what he looks like and when i came back on day 1 he gave me a project and i remember having this like out of body experience where I realized I had almost no idea what he was even talking to me about. It was like a title question, like some research something. And I think I did, I had to like go back to him and be like, I have no idea what to do. (laughs) I mean, it was just my first day back in and it's just hard to adjust and you're adjusting to like emotionally, uh, you know, not being with this kid that you just figured out how to how to maybe take care of it by the time you go back to work and then you put them, you know, with someone else. And so that was hard. It did get easier every time. Um, you know, every kiddo, I kind of figured out how to step out and how to transition cases and how to step back in. And I may be the lone opinion here. I feel like a lot of women get advice to, you know, wait as long as they can to have kids. I feel like it doesn't matter. It's going to interrupt your practice no matter what. And it's you're going to need some help transitioning cases and work out and then back in. But, you know, when you're an early lawyer, it's pretty easy to replace you on stuff. You know, once once you've been at it 10 years or 15 years, you know, you you have the clients are calling you and, you know, you're approving final filings and you're, you know, strategizing on cases and deciding what comes next. And so there's no perfect time. But I feel like I worked with particularly other women and men who supported me in ways that I needed supported. You know, if I needed to start leaving, when I needed to start leaving at four so I could get my kid picked up and get home by a decent time or just getting work. I mean, when you're an associate and you're relying on other people to get work and they know you're a new mom, you have to have some attorneys that are willing to say like, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to support you by literally just asking you to be on my cases again, um, knowing that you're in a season of transition and being understanding through that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I not everyone gets that experience. Yeah. Um, and so I was lucky to have it. And it was such a great experience. I went ahead and did it two more times while I was there. So no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you talk about the rotating in and rotating out. And, you know, my immediate first thought when you're talking about this is if you're not at a firm that is super, you know, caring towards the new mom and, you know, I guess that's why there's the saying you get unput on mommy row. And, and I guess it's the idea that 
partners don't give you cases or don't ask you to work on on their cases with them anymore. Yeah. Because I never really knew how that worked. So that's a really interesting thought. And I just think knowing that and knowing how to like just kind of the mo- the conversation you can have through networking, of course, if you're trying to figure out what a firm is like, what their maternity policy is like, what other women have experienced, I feel like these are the kind of conversations you have. You ask them, you say, how many kids did you have at the firm? Did, you know, you find out their story because it's all history, you know, yeah. it, it will repeat itself. And I think it's important to recognize that. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. If I can just say one more thing that I, I just thought of on that topic. Of course. No, now my mind's blank. Never mind. See, you said mommy row, mommy brain. <laughs> I have no, I I literally have no idea what I was going to say. Hopefully it wasn't too inspiring or insightful. It's gone. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's such, like you said, it's an important conversation to have. We definitely know that, you know, there's been times where we hear that, oh, if you're wearing an engagement ring, like take it off when you go get interviewed because they don't want to, you know, know that you're going to have kids one day. Yeah. You know, and they've been asked, people yeah. have been asked about that. Yeah. Oh, here's um, what I was going to say. And this is going to be my okay. feminist soapbox for a second. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. You know, <laughs> men don't have to have these conversations and it's upsetting to me yeah. and it's upsetting to other women. Yeah. I have excellent male coworkers who frankly, I, I mean the, the people, my peers. So the people who came in with me, And I was able to transition back in at a level that I wanted to transition in, in part because they worked so hard. They were able to pick up my slack while I left, and then I could take it back. And so I I say this not as a, not anything about them, but no one asks, you know, one of them has as many kids as I do, but I, I would be shocked if anyone ever had ever said, wow, you had three kids while you were an associate and he did too, but it's different for women because, you know, and, and we get asked those questions because also if you, if you choose pregnancy, you know, you're wearing it in front of people for nine months or at least six months of it. You're wearing it in front of people. And then the, the other thing that came to mind was I, I do also want to say that, you know, there is an element of really hard work to it. When I became a mom and I was transitioning back on cases. I got into the office later than I typically you know, did before I had kids. I felt like I needed to leave earlier so I could see him for a little while. And then, and I, I do answer emails at night. I do, uh, you know, work some weekends. It's not much. Those are boundaries I try really hard to protect. But again, you know, if, if you're going to be on a case, and you want to have both things. You want to have family time between the hours of 5.30 and 8.30, but things have happened when since you left work at 4, at some point, the piper has to be paid to, you know, just, you just, it's, and it's tough. And I, I could have made even stronger boundaries, but they may have involved different decisions like, a different partner track or going of counsel or other things that I never considered. And so, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm stepping off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you. It, it's a lot to think about. I really like how you put it. Men don't have to have these conversations and yeah, it, it it, it's intimidating. I just feel like to kind of wrap it all up and just, I think this is a really good point to end on, you know, there's 37% of women out there practicing law and our graduating class is 
over 50% women. And it makes me scared to think about people leaving the law to go and have families. And I've seen it in the past. I do think, though, the younger generation, you know, people in, you know, I definitely think people have been practicing for 10 years and less have a new outlook on it. And I'm really hoping that we can be lady lawyers and add a mom onto that title too. You know, what do you, what do you say to to people like us, like me and Samantha and all the other, you know, future lady lawyers out there who want to be moms? I know you said about the, you know, there's never really like the timing and everything, but you know, what would you say to us? I would say how, how you can create a a better profession for the day that you become a mom lawyer is to support other mom lawyers and support men and other women who are supporting other mom lawyers. Again, I can think of a lot of men who have been my advocates at the firm, who have really given me opportunity, and a lot of women who you know answered questions about pregnancy or baby products or what to do about a case, um, or just covered for me when my kids when COVID goes through my house twice and I'm the last man standing checking Tylenol and Advil schedules and and just you know covering each other. And you guys, you know, I don't know when or if that will happen for you, but until it does, you can be someone that supports other people who are in the season you hope to be in or support partners. You know, if if they're transitioning off a case, support that partner who's going to help them transition back, knowing the work's going to leave you and go back to that person when they transition back in. You know, I think in that presentation in October, Haley, I talked about about that, about boundary setting. It requires a team. You have to communicate the boundaries you want, and then you have to have a team of people on board to help support you in that. And it's a give and take because I support other people at our firm with their boundaries too. I know when people like to leave. I know who checks email in the evening and who doesn't. And I try to respect those boundaries and... um and boundaries change. And so I think that that's one of the things you can do now is just support other women who are in you know tough, tough stages, whether it's being a mom or whether it's caregiving for an aging parent or whatever that looks like that traditionally falls on women. Yeah. Great I advice. Love I love that so much. Awesome. Well, Paula, will you let everyone know where they can find you and, you know, connect with you maybe on LinkedIn if they want to chat more? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn, Paula Williams at Gable Gottwalls in Oklahoma City. And that or gablelaw.com is probably the best place to find me. I appreciate you asking. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, guys. I am just so grateful and thankful that we were able to set up this interview with Paula As you can probably tell, we recorded this last semester before we graduated and it still holds true now and it will probably for the next five to 10 years. There's so much to learn in this episode. I think one of my favorite things that really just brought me so much value was her describing and talking about maternity, also paternity leave, and how you have to transition in and out of the practice and of the firm and just really made me think like how important it is to work with good people and work with people that you like and respect and they respect you in return. And, you know, as we've been searching, well, 
we have news about that. But when you're searching for jobs and stuff and you're in an interview, it's, you know, if you're a woman and you're planning on having children anytime in your life, definitely ask, you know, like, what is your maternity leave and paternity paternity leave policies? Because you'll be surprised to know that there's some firms that have still not cracked the code on how you should be treating, you know, parents. So just, you know, side note. Word to the wise, right? Definitely something to keep at the top of your mind as you grow in law school and look for careers outside of that. Speaking of careers outside of that, I am officially employed. Now both the ladies are employed and we couldn't be more excited and overjoyed. I got a job in Dallas doing plaintiff's employment law litigation heavy. So I'm really excited about that. I just want to tell you guys really quick how I got the job because it's just like none other. I applied through I applied through our law school's Simplicity and applied for multiple jobs. I ended up getting an offer from another firm and I basically knew that I wanted to do employment law as many of you guys know and the employment law firm hadn't called me back. I applied to these firms at the same time. So I decided once I got the offer from the other firm, I was like, well, I'm either going to take this job or I can call them and maybe see if they've picked someone or how their process is going. So that's what I did. In less than a week, everything changed and so much for the better. I'm sure later we'll talk more about what a job interview is like and maybe just, you know, some tips for that because there was definitely a lot to think about. I had two interviews with the employment law firm and I asked a lot of questions about work-life balance and what they did outside of the firm and if they had dogs and cats and kids and you know all the things. And I have a list of questions I'll definitely share with you guys. But again, I am so freaking excited and happy and obviously the ladies will be sadly separating, but it's only a three hour drive for us. And we're excited to expand this business into another state and meet so many more of you guys, hopefully in person. Yes. And we'll definitely have a whole episode on the actual journey of Haley finding this job because there was a lot of what ifs and stuff that went on in the whole entire week that everything seemed like to be up in the so air. Quick, yeah. Um, so we'll definitely have a whole episode with the nitty gritty details of that because I would say it's a pretty good story. Um, but yeah, we are so excited for Haley and yeah, now we get to go to Dallas and go shopping, which is like Woo-hoo! the dream. And we <laughs> definitely have some purses that we have our eyes on that we're <laughs> going to be saving up money for. Cause you know, yes. student loans also announcement. If you guys haven't watched the news, I'm sure yeah. you have student loans. You don't have to pay them back till January, 2023 now. So that's amazing yes. for all of us. Who, no interest. Yes. No interest. Also, um, we'll link a little thing below about the Pell Grant and all that stuff. You get 10 K back. Basically most people will at least yeah. if you're not making like big bucks, which if you're in our position, you're probably not making big bucks right out of law school. So it definitely helps the baby lawyers. I know some people, everybody has their opinions, which way or another, but it does affect many of us that are in law school because many of us take out student loans. So we'll keep you updated on what we find out and learn about that. And, you know, as always guys, 
rate and review us wherever you listen. The biggest compliment you can give us is a review and telling your friend to listen to our podcast as well. Yes. So stay safe, reach out to us, DM us, obvious, and wash your hands because people are still getting sick out there. And you know me, I don't want to get sick. I just got sick and I'm wash your hands. Okay. (laughs) Love you. Bye guys. Bye.